Chris and Chris Talk Movies. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Chris Ferry, and of course, this is my co-host. My name is Chris Huddleston. And today, we're both very excited to be talking to you about a 1995 reboot of a horror classic, Village of the Damned. At precisely 10 a.m., in a quiet seaside village, something happened. Something unexplainable. Something unbelievable. There's a lot of pregnancies, much more than would normally be expected. All the pregnancies seem to date from the day of the blackout. This town is about to discover that looks can kill. There have been a few casualties. I should say accidents that might be related to contact with the children. My daughter was involved. Who are they? <gasps> they have one mind that they share between them. Father? Let us pray. You've been discussing us with Dr. Vern. What did she tell you? You're hiding something. The police can't do anything to stop the children. Get out while you can. Something so much more powerful than we'll ever be. What are you gonna do? The only thing that we can do. You can't stop us, you know. Do you have a synopsis for us, Mr. Huddleston? I do. Uh, so this is a John Carpenter directed film of the the British remake from 1960, I think. Um, and it stars Christopher Reeve, Kirstie Alley, Linda Kozlowski, uh, Mark Hamill. And the synopsis is as such from Rotten Tomatoes. Ten months after the small California town of Midwich was struck by a mysterious event during which everyone in the village fell unconscious at once, ten local women give birth on the same day. As the unsettlingly calm and unemotional children grow at a normally fast rate, abnormally fast rate, it becomes clear that they can read adults' minds and force people to harm themselves. Local doctor Alan Chafee, Christopher Reeve, and federal agent Susan Verner, Kirstie Alley, must team up to battle the alien children. All right. So this was neither of us had seen this. And I think neither of us have seen the original movie, I think. Right. You haven't but, seen it. Right. And I was going to say we spoil it if yeah. enough time hasn't gone by. But the synopsis spoils it right there. They're aliens. Well, and that's something that I wanted to talk about is the the alien aspect, which comes on late in the film. But uh uh, so yeah, neither of us had seen this. This is kind of looked at as a pretty notoriously bad film in John Carpenter's filmography. But what did you think about it? I think it certainly has moments that make it worth watching. I do wish that I have seen the original because that's regarded as a kind of, a, you know, classic mm -hmm. of that, that era sci-fi, um, there's certainly moments. I think overall it it doesn't have a kind of um 
a drive to it that really keeps your pulse pounding. Um, and I understand kind of honoring the original choice, but you know, if you're able to see, if you're watching us, then you can see a picture of the kids behind me, a number of little things in the design, which may or may not have seemed strange at the era of the original, but they look, they look like little kids from 1960, you know, they've got, and it's all gray. They're all, everything they wear is black and white. And I'm like, but they're, (laughs) but they are the children of various people around town. So did they procure these miniature adult black and white outfits, you know, and then the white hair, you know, okay. Um, But again, you can see the girls bangs and things. And I think that these would have felt like. I don't know, haircuts that were timely at the original. So I feel like Carpenter honors certain aesthetic elements of the original that actually I found sort of distracting in a 1995 version. Um, You know, the kids are creepy. They, They make the adults, they can kind of control them. And there's a number of sequences where we see that. And those are upsetting. You know, Mm -hmm. one girl makes her mom put her arm into a pot of boiling water. And that was really upsetting. Yeah. And, you know, they, they, uh, they sort of make people commit suicide and crash their cars and things like that. I thought the sequence, so the, the whole thing kicks off. We establish this, um, exclusively white town <laughs> like there's except for except for uh christopher reeve's wife looks like she might have some asian uh heritage somewhere mm-hmm. in her genetics but otherwise it's a it's a very white town um and everybody's doing okay like you know and they're all just going to church and having a potluck and town fair and and there comes a point where everybody there's this sort of a whooshing darkness that has makes this sort of sound like whatever which feels kind of carpenter you know wheelhouse to me somehow mm-hmm. and that's a uh, little bit like the fog you know yeah and everybody everybody sort of simultaneously blacks out and that's a neat scene because mm-hmm. it's it's not just the people it's all the animals it's the birds and the cows and the dogs right and there are these shots where you know everybody has just sort of fallen where they were standing and they're conked out and we don't we don't know what's going on yet um and there is a sort of a perfect circle around the town where you're fine until you kind of cross this line and then you just kind of black out mm-hmm. and there is some really creepy stuff too like one guy had been grilling hot dogs and we don't yeah, we don't see I, this I, until the end. But he when he blacked out, he blacked out across the grill, and it, it grilled him. They just show the guy yeah. all charred. I really you know, liked that. And one guy who we meet is the sort of husband of of one of the protagonists who who we get to know throughout the film, and he's driving back into town from the next town over, and he crosses the line, blacks out, and crashes his car, and mm-hmm. and dies in the crash. Blows up. So I mean. Yeah, I, I see why. Uh, my hunch is that if we were to go back and watch the original, we'd prefer the original, you know, and it would feel imagine, dated yeah. in the ways that those films did. And it would feel preachy in the way that many of those, you know, this, many of those science fiction movies from that era were sort of 
heavily allegorical of, and mm-hmm. there were a couple of echoes that made me think, I bet she says, oh, oh, she says to Christopher Reeve, oh, you, you know, you teach them, they respect you. And he goes, respect, those kids don't know the meaning of the word. And that felt very 1960, the kids today, you know, there's, they don't respect yeah. their elders, you know? And I wonder if it wasn't, you know, some, if there wasn't some message in the original one of the sort of fear of the modern kids and the modern way of thinking and the new. Yeah, probably. Who don't, you know, when we were children, you know, my dad said jump and we said how high but kids today. I don't know. I'm yeah. totally speculating. Anyway, what did you think about it? Yeah. So I, I think this is another one where we're going to be pretty, you know, similar in our in our thoughts. I wanted to you brought up about the the look of them. And that's the first thing that I wanted to talk about, because that it's just very silly. I mean, because like you said, they have the silver white hair and the 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 gray outfits were really distracting to me because it's like one kid will have light gray pants and a dark sweater and then the next one will have dark gray pants and a light sweater and it's like they coordinated okay johnny you're gonna wear this version of the of the you know the gray and you're gonna wear the and i just thought either have them just have normal child outfits or all of them dress like uh, identical uniforms, I guess. You know what I mean? Right. I just thought that was a weird choice to have the like alternating shades of gray. You right. Know? And like you could see the one, the girl is wearing a black bow tie, you know, and I don't know. It's, it's, it was just well, very silly. And of course, it looks so much like an homage to the original film, but. The original film was shot in black and white. Right. So from that metric, everyone was wearing everyone black was and white. Gray, shades of gray, yeah. yeah. And we don't know that their hair was white from the original. It could have been corn silk blonde. It, it, it's a black and white film. Yeah. So I, I I I questioned that choice. I thought it would be creepier. You know, they're they're I don't know, what are they? Six, seven years old? I mean, their parents would still buy them clothes. Mm-hmm. I don't imagine them all going out in their little group and buying their own clothes. They get dressed and they do everything else for themselves. But they would just wear whatever. Like, why is that important? Why are these little alien kids making a fashion statement? <laughs> did they, Did they like, do the... Uh... Do the parents take them shopping and it's like, remember, mom, nothing but gray. I don't want any colors. You know what I mean? It's like a big, a big fight at the, you know, at Kmart or whatever in 1995 they were going to. It's like, come on, a little bit of color to spice. No, only could be gray. And then they, you know, mind control them to only buy gray outfits or whatever. That was another thing I felt like uh, uh, this felt like there were some scenes missing. I don't know if you got that feeling at times because they jump pretty quickly from, um, you know, we get a little bit here and there, but they they jump pretty quickly from them doing things, using their mind control to harm their parents or harm other people to they don't have any emotions and they don't understand human emotions and these things. And it just felt like, I felt like with that, there could have been a scene or two in between that. You know what I mean? Did you did you get that feeling some? Sure. Yeah. So the piece that we didn't explain to our listening audience who hasn't seen this and may not be interested in seeing it is um, everyone wakes up from this blackout about a couple of hours later. 
And what turns out is all of the women of childbearing age are in town are pregnant. And I thought that that is a very creepy uh, yeah. sci-fi thing, you know, places sci-fi don't go. And we don't see any, you know, scene to indicate how that happened. Uh, it's just some sort of spectral force. But um, Kirstie Alley's character shows up and she's a fed. And what comes out later is this is not the first time or the only place where this has happened. Mm-hmm. And in other instances, the feds have just bombed the city, right? They've just basically firebombed the whole city without telling anybody. Um, and this is like the last, well, we don't know if it's the last, I guess one of the kids says we're the last group or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, But we also get to see, so one of the kids dies in childbirth and they have it in a jar and it's just a little alien baby that I thought looked really funny. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's supposed to be terrifying, but it's it's not. Yeah. And the alien thing, you know, we we don't find out until really late into the film. And I don't know if that was supposed to be surprising or I, I think it could have almost been just left unexplained, you know, just some kind of a supernatural occurrence. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel it, like again, I, I now if I'm gonna keep supposing I should go watch the original. I just feel like in the original, like with so many other films of that era, there's this sort of creeping horror as the truth begins to dawn on you, you know, and we see, you know, the other people in the sort of trying to wrestle with this. No, it can't be. It it can't be. It's too terrible. But then of course, Oh, and they're alien children, you know, Mm -hmm. among us. And this is our child that we love, you know, people, were thrilled that they were pregnant and, you know, mm-hmm. um, and so it really plays on this. Oh, it's not really your child or it's that you can't trust her or something other. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel like much of that landed in this film. Um, no, they, they gestured toward that a little bit, but then when we make the time jump and the kids are older, everybody is already wary of the kids. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and we're we're actually pretty close to the end of this thing coming to a head. You know, there's already mistrust. There's been a number of deaths. People blame the kids. As, mm-hmm. it, it's of course it is the kids. Um, yeah, I I just didn't I didn't think the thing landed much of a punch. Um, I was uh, I kept wondering early on. Um, like you said, there's the. You know, those kind of upsetting scenes with the 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 woman with her hand in the boiling water yeah. and all that kind of stuff. But um early on I like I got about halfway through it and I checked the I looked it up on IMDB again because I thought, is this rated R? Because it seemed you know, pretty mild. There wasn't any bad language or anything, and not really much in the way of violence or anything like that. And I thought, why in the world is this rated? Then towards the end, they get out to get to where there's cops shooting each other, you know, and all this kind of stuff. So it does, it does get more, there's more action and violence towards the end. And I thought, oh, okay. I understand, you know, how it's not like it's super graphic or anything, but, uh, I feel like that, even then, even at the end where it's building to that crescendo, it 
it there's a sort of a tepid feeling to it. It doesn't, yeah. and the cops kind of turn on each other and shoot. Like when the kids zap you with their eyes, you go kind of slack jawed mm-hmm. and you sort of do what they say, but there's no urgency to it. You're like a puppet, yeah. you know? And in one or two cases, people seem to be able to act a kind of a horrified awareness of like, oh, I don't have any control. They're making me do this. I don't have any control over it. Some sort of behind their eyes. Mm-hmm. But in most cases, people are just kind of like they go a little robotic and it, it you know, and then so the cops sort of shoot each other, but there's nothing pulse quickening about it. You know, mm-hmm. I think the most interesting thing of this film was Christopher Reeve's performance which reminded me like what a compelling actor he was on stage because he doesn't have a ton of heavy lifting to do in this emotionally mm-hmm. but he was really compelling to watch he just I just couldn't take my eyes off of him and then of course we've got Mark Hamill who I think the thing with Mark Hamill makes big choices and I respect that in an actor I think it's a director's job to kind of dial that back if the choices are too big but he does a thing with his acting where he's just really broadcasting he's mm-hmm. really broadcasting his choices and you know it's film like if you're on stage and it's a thousand seat theater then yeah you have to be able to do that you have to be able to really send it to the back rows yeah but in film he always looks three times bigger than everybody else on screen with him and uh you know, he has maybe four scenes in this and he's a sort of a fire and brimstone uh, minister, but I kind of wanted yeah. to laugh every time I saw him and his wife. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I felt exactly the same. He was he was just way over the top, you know. And uh, yeah, like you said, Christopher Reeve is good in it. It this is these are the things where the dated aspect of things, I kept laughing at uh his clothing like and i guess that's kind of a bad sign when you're noticing that kind of stuff instead of being drawn into the film but you know i guess it was just the style at the time but everything he wore was like these really big shirts and really big jackets and stuff that looked like three sizes you know almost like he was wearing his dad's clothes or something i don't know if you picked up on that or not and uh yeah like you said mark hamill was was not great in this i I was the the uh the kid actors were okay. I felt like the the main girl who was kind of the leader, she did a good job, you know, and she was was pretty spooky at times. Um, I think she, who I was... Pro- Go ahead. She, she was scary because she was cruel. Yeah. She's the one that made her mother... She's Christopher Reeve's daughter. And yes. she's the one that made her mother, Christopher Reeve's wife, stick her arm in the thing and later jump off the cliff. Right. And... She's young when she does that. She's maybe two or three years old when she does that and then mm-hmm. sort of smiles. And so all through the film, you know, she's regarded us, these humans, as as the sort of pathetic species, inferior species, and but but also kind of looking for an excuse to make someone kill themselves, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she was fine, you know, and, and overall that, you know, the kids did an okay job despite the silliness of their, you know, the wardrobe for them. Um, I think probably who's, and then you had, is it Linda Kozlowski? And I kept, I kept watching thinking, 
who is she? I know she's familiar. She's from um, Crocodile Dundee. She's the love interest in Crocodile. I think the first, like both Crocodile Dundee movies. Um, and she's she's fine. I, I think who probably surprised me the most was Kirstie Alley. Because, you know, she did some dramatic work, but mostly was a a sitcom actor and did, you know, comedic films. And I thought she did a really good job as a, you know, as the serious, they, they say she was a, I think it's said in the Rotten Tomatoes thing that she was a scientist or something like that, but she was a doctor too, you know, for the government, but knew what was going on with this. Cause like you said, they dealt with, with the things, you know, in other areas. So I thought she did a good job. And then just overall the, uh, the tone of the film, I texted you when I was watching it, and I, I thought it felt very much like uh, Stephen King adaptations from this time. You know, it just kind of felt a lot like the Stephen King TV miniseries, just with the small town feel and everything. And I'm sure this is probably, I'm sure there are probably interviews with Stephen King talking about being influenced by this film, you know. But you have all of that, and then you also have, it felt very carpenter because you're in a a northern small northern california town just like the fog it may have been some of the same shooting locations i'm not sure but uh, so it felt like this kind of mix of uh, you know of stephen king especially 90s stephen king films and carpenter but like you said it doesn't uh i mean it you know Carpenter has done some of my favorite movies with the thing and Halloween and the fog. And, you know, he has several other movies regarded as classics. And I had generally stayed away from this one because I remember it being released and kind of wanting to see it. And just so many people said it was bad at the time. And, but it's not a terrible film. It's just kind of like, you know, like you've said, it kind of just doesn't all come together. It's just kind of blah. Yeah, I mean, I feel like if you want to watch Village of the Damned, watch the original. Uh, if you want to watch a John Carpenter movie, there are many excellent Carpenter Better ones. movies. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so I'm kind of like, I don't I don't know what draws you to this film. Um and not to not to cut right to the chase, but I mean it's it's in terms of recommending it, it's not that I think it's a bad film. I've just been kind of like, I don't know. I, I sort of wish, and nothing's keeping me from watching the the original. I sort of wish we had just watched the original. Mm-hmm. Um, it's regarded a kind of an icon of, of uh, that era horror. Particularly and, British, British yeah, horror, I think. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I also feel like there's got to be a tension between a sort of a British sensibility where everybody, you know, is so stiff upper lipped and Mm -hmm. versus Northern California where everything's so loosey goosey, you know, why are these kids so uptight? Well, in the British version of it, the kids would be uptight because everybody's uptight. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I guess I need to go watch the original just to know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that would be be a good idea. One thing that I uh, from other things that I read and have listened to, I guess the. So we have. Uh, and again, they don't do a lot of too much setup with this, but Christopher Reeve figures out that he can block their mind control um, 
but at, at one point what he's thinking about the ocean and that blocks him some and then he finally you know envisions a brick wall and my understanding is they took that directly from the original movie that you know whoever the protagonist is in that you know envisions a black wall but i thought it was it was interesting because going into it i mean i knew this was about kids and the mind control stuff i knew about that going in i think i thought it was going to be more like um have you ever seen they do this in the movie as well but have you ever seen the uh the twilight zone episode with um uh ron howard he's a little boy and it's like he lives on a farm and he can control uh well they don't know that it's so much that he control the 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 adults thoughts but basically all of the adults around him cater to his every you know like he'll just be like i want ice cream right now and they'll bring him ice cream because if uh if they don't do exactly what he wants then he banishes them to the the cornfield and then they're just trapped in the cornfield forever i guess so I, I i guess i thought it was this was going to be a lot more like that that the because it's not really like the kids are they want to just torture their parents but it's not really like ah, i want this thing or i'm going to do this to you you know you know what i mean yeah it's it kind of really... like they didn't have a lot to do other than occasionally do something mean to harm them they're just growing up yeah right they're just surviving and the idea is kind of like oh once they reach a certain level of maturity and independence they'll be okay i i don't know their their ultimate plan like there's eight of you or something you mm -hmm. know you can't control everybody's mind right i mean if the u.s army came to you know hundreds of thousands of troops with munitions you know you'd mind control some of them but they'd mm -hmm. kill you I, what's your end game like what's the plan you i got the sense that they're their culture or their planet or whatever is gone and they're the last surviving, you know, this is some last ditch effort for their species to survive, mm -hmm. but they seem totally Christopher Reeve even says at one point, like, why can't we, you know, this is how, you know, you, you adapt and you, you know, you compromise and that's how life works is you, you figure out a way to work together, you know, and his daughter says we would dominate you. And I'm like, there's eight of you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, what are you? You know what I mean? I just well, and they have the, the little, here? they have the little classroom where they're where he's teaching them, you know, and and they show up to class and teaching them to do what I don't know exactly, you know. Yeah, that wasn't very clear what was supposed to, you know, they're going to wipe out the humans and then they're going to, I don't know, I didn't really understand exactly what it was that that they were supposed to be trying to accomplish. I mean, maybe once they reach maturity, they could procreate. They did pair off. They have, yeah. you know, there's like four boys and four girls, right? And one of the girls dies in childbirth. There's a 12. I don't know. There's not a ton of them. No. So maybe that's the thing is once they just got to survive until they get old enough to repopulate the species and then they take over the earth or something. Also, yeah. the baby looks alien, right? The baby, baby they have in a jar, but the kids look perfectly human. Except yeah. When she really turns on the mind power, you get this kind of Carpenter-esque alien face underneath it. Right. Sort of shows through. And so I'm like, are they aliens wearing human skin or 
I mean, it makes more sense to me if they were just some sort of an energy force that if they're basically human, but there's some kind of alien DNA in there somewhere. But the idea of that they're little aliens wearing human, you know, skins or something is weird. And what would be the, it's not like it's a secret. They're not hiding from anybody in the, in the village, you know? So it's not like they have to pretend to look human if they don't right. have to. They all wear the yeah. same haircut and black and white outfits. Like in yeah. case you, in case you were going to mistake one of them for a normal kid. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't regret having watched it, but I didn't think it was one of the more enjoyable or interesting ones we've seen. No, I was never, you know, it moves along fairly briskly. So I didn't feel, you know, I wasn't really bored by it or anything like that. It, you know, it still has that carpenter look. It it looks good. I mean, it shot well. It has, uh, you can tell that Carpenter did the music. It sounds very, you know, it's very Carpenter-esque uh, music. Um he got to where with some of this later stuff that he incorporated guitar a lot more in than just, you know, early on it was all just synth stuff and it, you know, it has kind of a bluesy guitar thing in it, you know, and um, so it just feels very familiar in a, in a carpenter way, but, but yeah, definitely not. Uh, it's definitely lesser carpenter. When it ends, Christopher Reeve has somehow shown up with a big, briefcase full of dynamite <laughs> with a clock timer on it you know let me stop you for just one second isn't that a funny thing in movies that like like that everybody just knows how to combine a, a clock with dynamite and make where, a bomb you know yeah how do you do it where it, do you get where do you get the dynamite just I you know, just stop. Where do you get that big square case you're like oh well it's his doctor bag I'm like no I've seen doctor bags that's not that's like a big briefcase but it's deep enough for dynamite like where is there a nice luggage store in town where do you get it well he had it in his house okay fine he had it in his house where do you get the and dynamite so, <laughs> you know this how was did they know to wire so they I know they, they maybe had internet maybe but probably not in this little town you know so it's like are you gonna go to the library and look up how to how to build a bomb with a clock and and dynamite it it felt like it's a bugs bunny thing like yeah. you show up with a bomb and it's ticking away and he sets it for when they're trying to break into his mind and he keeps glancing at the clock and they keep looking at the clock and the mom of the of the um of the boy who doesn't have a partner the ki that kid has actually started to feel some emotion some vague right. human emotion and there's sort of hope for him and she keeps coming to take him and the others don't want her to take mm -hmm. him but they're they're literally torn back and forth between trying to break into Christopher Reeve's mind. And then each time she creeps forward and grabs the kid, they turn around, um, which was comic in and of itself. But she finally gets away with him. And then the right as they break into his mind, they're able to see it. there's dynamite in the case Two, one boom. And, the and whole then they, yeah, they just up. turned, they turned to the clock and then it yeah. that was funny too. Yeah. And because like they all turn in unison. So at the end of the movie, we've got one of these little alien boys who doesn't have a partner who's actually started to exhibit some sort of human empathy driving away with his mom. And she's like, we'll go somewhere where nobody knows who we are. And it's just the last shot is this push in on the kid's expressionless face. And I think we're supposed to go, 
oh no, one of them survived or something. But I'm like, I don't know what's the first of all, this kid's learning how to be human. I mean, if anything, it's oddly hopeful. Like, well, maybe, maybe he's just gonna is... be okay. Well, or something you can work with, right? Unlike Christopher Reeve's daughter, he's not a murder machine. I mean, she just seemed determined to exterminate humanity one parent at a time. They cut to a couple years later, and he's had this major breakthrough, and all he'll wear, wear now is like Hawaiian flowered shirts. You know, <laughs> they cut to a couple years later. He's Elon Musk. <laughs> <laughs> he owns an electric car company. Space <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Uh, yeah, it. Uh, you know, there's one more little nitpicky thing that that I don't know if you picked up on or not. I kept trying to figure out if Christopher Reeve was wearing a wig or not. Did his hair distract you? Yeah, it was it was oddly long in the back. It's like thick in the back in the way that, you know, when you pull a wig over that sort of sticks yeah. out a little bit in the back. And when he turned profile, you really saw it. Yeah. So I, I I kept thinking, is that a wig? And it was just kind of an odd hair color. You know, it's almost like he's is that is that a natural, you know hair color look but yeah as you said you know it, it's um it's a little sad with with christopher reeve that he, you know he never he obviously was in other films but i don't know that he had any did he ever have any kind of a major you know hit film that was outside of superman i, I don't i don't remember any kind of big Superman was the outlier because it was that it was such an early comic book movie. And he was just so perfect for that yeah, role. But I think people loved it. I mean, I think yeah. people really thought of him as Superman. So that's I mean, you know, Ian McKellen did worked his whole life in stage and screen. And I think people who knew theater and, and knew acting knew who Ian McKellen was. But it, and then you get a role like Gandalf. Or you could say Magneto even. But yeah until you're in a big franchise thing like that, like you just, you know, people who would never suddenly your household name. Um, but I don't, I mean, he was in dramas and stuff. I, I he was, um, probably considered an A-list actor. I just don't know. I think the, the Superman thing, there weren't a lot of franchises, right? Yeah. I mean, when, when did you have like a multi episode sequence of movies, before the period where we really started watching stuff in the eighties, you know? Yeah. When you had the same thing and I wonder if they even talked about it on set any, but you had the same thing with uh, Mark Hamill where, you know, he was kind of never really able to be other than, you know, later in his career when he became a voice actor, you know, and has been really respected for that, but he never really was able to break away from, from Luke Skywalker, you know, which right. I mean, you say break away as if it's uh, especially now, you know, these people get in these big franchises and then they'd never have to really be in another movie again because yeah. they can make so much money from conventions. But yeah. I but I know with Mark Hamill, there were and Carrie Fisher, you know, that there were periods there in the the 80s and 90s where it was hard for them to find work that they wanted to do. Yeah, and I, I've heard interviews with Carrie Fisher where she talked about they didn't get any, or maybe just her, but I, I think it was all of the actors didn't get any of the merchandising. Like, yeah. they didn't see any of that. And that was 
an enormous amount of revenue. Oh yeah. But they use their likeness, right? So they, the, the action figure looks like Mark Hamill and, and they signed Ford. it away forever, you know, and they're still, and, they're going to be, you know, they're going to be making Luke Skywalker toys after Mark Hamill is gone. And after we're gone, you know, but I think that they probably did get at least the standard royalties, you know, in the Screen Actors Guild, you you get paid for, um, you know, the longer a property lives on. There is, you are protected. They don't just give you, you know, your paycheck and then say, thanks a lot, like if they continue to screen it. So there's a part of me that feels like, I know as an actor, you want to keep working. You don't want to be saddled by that one role. Um. But it has probably paid his bills his oh, whole yeah. life, those three films, right? Yeah. And by um by the third one, you know, I mean he was a household name and they yeah, they can kick themselves. They didn't get any of the merchandising, but unless his his agent was really asleep at the wheel, and I'm sure that, that has that's paid for his whole life, you know. And then well, especially... he has gone on to do other neat stuff. Oh yeah. I I out he i mean he doesn't sound like a guy who's bitter about it or anything like that but but and and especially now with the conventions mark hamill could just sign autographs and probably make about as much money as he wants to make it you know i i could imagine mark hamill's just like well we got to build a new addition onto the house i'll go to the convention this weekend you know because i don't know if you've if we've talked about this before you've seen any of these stories or not, but I I've read some articles a while back where they said that um, it's getting to be a thing where the, you know, actors can be on, you know, they go on the walking dead or whatever, and or they're, you know, in a big, they're in a Marvel movie or whatever, and they can make so much money from conventions that in some cases agents are getting upset with them because they're turning down roles Cause you're just like, I can just go and, you know, and, uh, I've read things where, you know, some of the bigger stars, again, like the walking dead people or people from game of Thrones or whatever, that stories where they would literally, they'll literally walk out of a convention with just a trash bag full of money. Wow. You know, I mean, they can make like hundreds of thousands of dollars in a weekend. I mean, Holy literally, macro. yeah. Cause a lot of them, you know, I went to that convention in, uh, um, in Cincinnati back in the spring and um, they, the, the biggest stars there, they had almost everybody from the, except for uh, they didn't have uh, 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 what's her name from uh, friends, Courtney Cox. But other than that, they had Nev Campbell and the other people from the screen movies. And they were kind of like the headliners, but even the people like, um, uh, like Adrian Barbeau was there and, you know, some of those other people that you were in Carpenter films. And I think they charged like 75 or a hundred dollars for an autograph, wow. you know? And if you figure, you know, there's, yes, if you can get it. Yeah. If you figure, I don't know if they signed 500 autographs in a weekend or a thousand autographs, you know, that wouldn't be, if you think about that, you know, that's a lot of money that's just a in a weekend, you know? Yeah. I think that so, would be an exhausting weekend, but it would. No, yeah. That's a lot of money. Oh, that's sure, a lot yeah. for an autograph. Um, yeah. Most of them. Char- and that was the thing. Like, uh, you know, there were a couple of people that I thought, ah, it would be kind of neat to see them, but I didn't want to stand in line and then pay 50 or 75 or a hundred dollars, you know? 
right. nothing against any of the people, but you know, no, it's not really, it's not really my thing. I'm not a collector. I don't like, what would I even do with an autograph? Yeah. And I saw them. them. I was like, Oh, there's Adrian Barbeau. And you know, she was like, sure. 30 yards away from me or whatever. I mean, you I've know, been to a couple good. of those like Comic-Con, those conferences are fun. There's just so much yeah. going on. There's the people doing the cosplay and there's usually booths with games. And there's like, if it's Comic-Con, there are com you can buy, actually buy comics. And mm -hmm. if you do collect figures and stuff like that, there's, you know, it's just a huge scene. Right. And um, it's been fun. I think I've been to two different Comic-Cons just two but yeah. they were both you know we went with a group of people and they were both really fun scenes but i couldn't i couldn't see standing in a long line um no. paying somebody to sign a thing it just felt so transactional and like little, yeah well i mean good again i don't want to sound like it's good for everybody involved everybody's happy i guess you want the autograph it's worth it to you there they get the money everybody's happy and i'm just like okay i think especially for it, I think it's nice for a lot of those older actors that aren't really acting anymore. You know, right. Mark Hamill, I'm sure has been fine throughout, you know, with, like he said, with the star Wars movies. And then, you know, he went on and did the Joker and all that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm sure. Well, and I'm, I'm sure, sure these new star Wars it. movies, uh, they negotiated the contract oh, yeah. very differently. <laughs> he would have gotten plenty of, uh, uh, I think, you know, uh, he's a, obviously a bigger star, but I think, Harrison Ford got like fifty million dollars or something like that. And points, know, for, yeah, and points. So and points on the on the whole thing. I mean, I'm yeah. like, they they paid through the nose to get him back, and I think that he really delivered. I think they that was worth it for them. He definitely and, uh, didn't phone it in on. We on need that Han one. Solo back, but we need we need the real Han Solo experience. One yeah. film, and then we'll kill you out. But he got his wish. That's finally to kill him. And you we'll know. pay you what you want, and we'll give you we'll give you a big piece of the of the film. I feel like he got, you know, two points or something on the whole. Wow. It's, you know, so what did that what did that movie make? I mean, did that oh, yeah. movie make a billion well, it's, dollars. It's like, yeah, it's number one all time domestic box office. It's not the number one, um, and that's interestingly enough. I read today that Avatar two is is gonna pass it here pretty soon as avatar avatar 2 is now fourth worldwide all time which again you know we had a few conversations about that but it's like well people some people counted out james cameron again you know you can't bet against him <laughs> you know so he the guy has number one number i think it's number one number three and number four all time box office which is just i mean you think about even like spielberg and lucas didn't do that, you know. Yeah. Um, they've had number ones at times, at times, but not num multiple, you know, in the top five all at the same time. So I will. I agree. What we said, maybe we said it on the last podcast, or we were talking offline. But I agree with you in that some of Terminator and some and Aliens and some of those movies aside, they can be quite forgettable. Like, uh, mm -hmm. I don't remember a lot about Titanic. I, there's a couple of scenes I remember, you know, I'm the king of the world and moments. But I couldn't quote you scenes from that movie and Avatar's the same way. Like, you know, you don't dress up as somebody from Avatar 
they're just sort of experiences. They're mm-hmm. they're designed to be an experience that you're like, that was crazy. Tell me about it. Uh, I can't really. You just let's go. Well, we'll go back together. We'll go and ride the ride again. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not really it's not really about taking it home with you or spawning other, you know, manifestations of it. It's about we put it all into you gotta come in, you gotta buckle in, you gotta put on the glasses, and we're gonna take you on the ride of your life. And you're going to want to come back and see it two, three, four, five times. And people do. People yeah. do, are doing that. Um, Which is crazy because, you know, when we were coming up, the model was like, man, if you get something real successful, you pick a franchise, you know, you just drive it into the ground, you know, and then you, if you can get merchandising going along with it, pull a George Lucas and you can just print your own money. And yeah. I feel like it's shifted a little bit, like, I guess with the rise of streaming and I don't, I don't know how I, I know that they still make toys for stuff, but I don't like Lego is a big thing. Lego will make Lego star Wars. And now there's a whole line of, there's a whole silo of star Wars, Lego stuff. And Mm -hmm. I don't know. Well, and, and I was reading that, uh, you know, he has figured out obviously, you know, the, more so than ever. I mean, it's been like this for a long time, but the movie industry is you do it, you know, your goal is to to make as much money as possible opening weekend. And then, you know, that, you know, depending on the genre, something like horror, um, you know, if they do another remake of village of the damned, the hope is going to be, Oh, you make a bunch of money the first weekend because horror fans or fans of that property or whatever are going to turn out. And then the second win- weekend, you're going to lose 60% of that money. And then it's going to quickly, whereas they said, uh, uh, avatar opened, um, you know, they were comparing it to other movies that had been kind of blockbusters that had been released around the same time in the year. And, uh, it, it had done less a smaller opening weekend than one of the, um, uh, twilight movies, but they said, you know, it just continues moving, you know, it's not like, like the, the first weekend, it, it only lost like 20% of, of, you know, the money or whatever, which is pretty much unheard of. And they just keep going for weeks and weeks and weeks. And obviously that's what happened with the first avatar. And that's what happened with Titanic, you know, because it's like, obviously word of mouth and people tell their friends and their families and and there have to be audiences or not audiences but there have to be studios you know that are just studying this to try to come up with well let's come up with a formula that we can you know what i mean because almost nobody else is doing this where they release a giant movie and it just keeps going for weeks and weeks and weeks and obviously appeals to a bunch of different demographics, you know, especially like when you think about Titanic, where it was like there were teenage girls that went because Leonardo DiCaprio, there were parents and grandparents who went just because they were interested in the Titanic, you know? And so it's just amazing that this guy has, uh, and I, I can't even imagine that he sits down and is just like, okay, here's what I'm going to do to make sure everybody, you know what I mean? It, Seemingly, it's he's doing what he's interested in, and it yeah. just happens to be that that appeals to millions and millions of people all around the world. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's working for him. Don't bet yep. against him. No, for sure. 
I don't, I mean, I don't have much else to say about this remake of Village of the Damned. I, I think we kind of, I think we can, it did make me want to go watch the original. Yeah. Um, which I will probably do, but I'm, I don't know. Do you want to cover the original or? Uh, I'm maybe we'll just watch it separately. And if we feel like there's See what we think, yeah, it, it's different enough from this, this, that it needs to be talked about, you know? Yeah. Or if you would, I don't know, listeners, if, uh, write to us, if you, if you'd love to hear a podcast about the original one, you know, I'd be fine with watching it, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. but yeah, it's just kind of, it's okay. It's just kind of, you know, there it's a, like a six, five and a half, six out of 10, something like that. It's, uh, I, I rented it on prime. Is that where you watched it? I think so. Yeah. I'd say definitely if it were, you know, it, it's, I don't think it was free anywhere. If it, if it were on a, like an HBO max or something sure. like that, that you could just have it and you could just watch it. I'd say, yeah, go ahead. But I, I don't know if it's, if it's worth, you know, if you're just a gigantic John Carpenter fan or fan of, of, uh, some of the other actors in this film, you know, and you haven't seen it maybe, but it's definitely not a must see by any, by any means. I agree. I agree. Do you know what we want to do for next time? I don't really. Uh, we might have to talk about that off air. Unless you have there's something that you can think of that I am oh. going to tomorrow is my birthday and I'm going to go. I'm going to take myself to see uh, Infinity Pool, which is this new uh, David Cronen or uh, it's not David Cronenberg, but it's his son um who did possessor that we reviewed and liked but it looks like this really insane movie and i was very surprised that it's playing in my local movie theater so i just thought it started this past weekend and i don't figure it's gonna last very long so i just thought ah, that's gonna be my birthday gift to myself because nice. I, I i'm not gonna get anybody to go and see this with me so you know um happy but birthday. it looks very very crazy so i i thought on the next episode i might just do like a mini a mini review of it you a know touch towards base. the end yeah yeah so and if I it's eat. if it's good then maybe once it hits you know streaming or whatever we could do a oh yeah could cover it in you know in its entirety like if you say oh you have to see this then I'll definitely um i sent you a birthday gift it's not going to arrive in time oh, okay. for your birthday you'll probably get oh. it wednesday i think is what that's nice extended say. birthday is is nice so well thank you you're welcome extended birthday um cool so we're going to figure out what to do next time um but uh thank you for for joining us it's chris and chris talk movies at gmail.com that's our handle we're on the socials maybe you're watching us on youtube maybe you're listening to us on your favorite podcast app if you like and subscribe and leave a comment that's cool because we like to see people's engagement and um you know we always like to hear what you think and if you have suggestions or feedback maybe we missed something awesome or maybe we nailed something that you hadn't thought of um let us know i'm sure there are people that have written essays about this movie that they love it and you know absolutely um yeah, absolutely. Um, and so for next time, we're not sure what we're going to do, but it'll be something entertaining, I think. And uh, we hope that you will join us for that one. Um, and unless Mr. Huddleston has anything else to add, happy birthday to you. And you. we will talk to you all next week. <laughs>